Hi, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I am the Executive Director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring manufacturing back to the U.S. or expand their manufacturing here. I'm also a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I have a very interesting guest and an old friend, Kim Kiesel, the Vice President of Americas at Navis. And Navis uh, supplies software that runs ports and optimizes terminals to improve both operations and efficiency. And let's take a moment to think about this. So if you've got a port with these big container ships and thousands of containers on the ship and they all have to be offloaded and put somewhere to be picked up. And you can imagine the organization of a port is very complex uh, and full of data and difficulty in locating things. And so the software should help with that, reorganize it. Um, The amount of coordination and data tracking that your shipments require is really amazing and almost unimaginable. But I'm going to let Kim tell you all about that fun stuff. So welcome, Kim. Let's get started. Great. Thank you, Rosemary. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah. So can tell us about Navis and then also a little bit about your, your uh, background in supply chain management as well. I think people will be very interested in that, too. Sure. Um, so Navis is a terminal operating solution in the industry that focuses um, not only on container solutions, but also we have a a suite of carrier and vessel solutions and general cargo and intermodal and rail solutions. So not just a marine terminal, as you typically think of it, but uh, other types of terminals that uh, manage different types of modes of transportation. Um, Navis has been around for about 30 years. Uh, So, you know, we were out there uh, trying to streamline and optimize container terminals at the very um, early stages, right, of of the container business. And since then, uh, we've grown and expanded in terms of what our solutions are. Uh, In addition, we were acquired about a year ago by Excel KKR and put together under the Calaris uh, name and Calaris also provides a suite of supply chain execution solutions that actually start at the shipper yard and help them manage what's inside of the yard, as well as you know optimizing across the modes and nodes of the supply chain from you know the rail maintenance and repair all the way back to the terminal. So, yeah. So a little bit about me. So I started my career working for the most part on the shipper side. So managing some global supply chains for companies like Williams-Sonoma, Cost Plus World Market, and RH, or previously known as Restoration Hardware, uh, implemented some early technology uh, inside those operations around supply chain visibility and decided I really liked the technology space. So I spent really, I would say the second part of my career uh, working on the supply chain visibility side across retail manufacturing, high-tech supply chains, really trying to provide, you know, a detailed level of visibility um, into supply chains. And 
And Navis was a very interesting intersection where I felt like there was uh, some opportunity around providing more visibility to what was happening inside of the marine terminal. And it gave me the opportunity to sort of put together that end-to-end perspective uh, over the supply chain and, and, and really try to change that last area that I felt like needed some additional optimization. Wow, I, I can't imagine any supply chain running without software these days. I mean, back in the day when, when I started in supply chain almost 40 years ago, there was no software. I mean, we didn't have software even in our company. Everything was done by hand. But today, with the global environment and uh, global sourcing and global supply chains, the long supply chains, I can't imagine trying to, to manage anything without software, right? Even if it's just a spreadsheet. Absolutely. So, yeah, very, very interesting for sure. Um, now, I know that you're in charge of the Americas, but Navis is a global company also. You have... Uh, uh, it's my understanding that you have software installed in many foreign port yes. operating environments as well. Yeah, so Navis has about, um, I would say, 70% of the major ports and terminals globally use our solutions to operate the terminals. So a pretty, uh, a pretty big piece of the overall global supply chain uses, uh, uses our solutions uh, today. Wow. So all over Asia and Europe? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So we have uh, a similar region in EMEA and a similar region in APAC uh, with leaders okay. over those regions. So yeah. What are some of the ports where Navis is operating overseas? Uh, yeah. So we, um, we operate in Rotterdam. We operate in Singapore. We operate in Thailand. Um, I mean, you know, look look at a map right and i i would yeah. say you know chances are we are we are there um some of our customers include apmt so if you think about apmt ports globally right yeah, uh, yeah we have a, a very significant presence um in that in that global supply chain um and, you know, as you look at where we've been innovating, right, we've done a lot in the general cargo space. So, you know, mixed, mixed cargo. So historically, we did a lot on the container side, and we've put a lot of development and investment on the bulk cargo and general cargo, mixed cargo, as well as intermodal. So we're starting to sort of move through the supply chain as well break it down a little bit so inside the port the software operates to control where the containers are or where and on the ship also you need to know all of that and so yeah, tell so, us a little bit more about how it works yeah so we are optimizing essentially how you not only load and unload a vessel but how that container moves through the yard in the end to get it in or out right so as a terminal operator, you're looking to maximize um, the velocity or speed by which that container moves through the terminal with the least amount of moves. So our technology takes into account all of the criteria that are involved to really get that container either on or off the vessel and out of the yard as fast as possible with the least amount of touches. So the software would know 
know where mm -hmm. the where a container is on the vessel and Correct. then when it's offloaded where you're putting it in the yard is that right Correct you got it Correct Okay and, and then, then we the also know when it should be at the gate right and when it's going to leave the terminal so all of those quote unquote milestones that are happening throughout the terminal our technology is touching you know when is the vessel going to arrive when is the vessel birthed when is the container going to be offloaded off the ship, right? Where is it within the yard? And when is it going to be available for essentially a, a, a drayage provider trucker or the shipper to pick it up? Right. So um, with all the congestion in the West Coast ports, how, how would your software help um, move that stuff through a port? I mean, is it Tell us about the West Coast congestion and what was what's been going on the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, it it it's been a pretty challenging environment, and you know what we're looking to do and how we're hoping that we can better benefit our customers truly is around the optimization of of how those boxes move, right? So you know where should that box be once it's offloaded on the vessel with a better understanding of who the shipper is and when they're going to pick up the box, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, on average, I think you look at dwell time in a container, it may be six or seven days that it's sitting in the yard, right? So how do we get that box out of the terminal faster, either through improved visibility of who's coming in to pick up that box, optimizing where that box is placed in the yard, Right. Uh -huh. um, or, you know, basically just making it available for the shipper to pick up. And there's there's a lot of complexity in why that happens, certainly. Right. Whether it's um, any holds that are on the box, the shipper doesn't want to pick up the box. The drage provider doesn't like when they have availability to get the box or simply just the congestion. Right. That's happening inside and outside of the terminals today. Why do you think there was so much congestion um, during the pandemic for um, containers coming into the U.S. ports or container ships, I guess, unloading in the ports? Yeah, I think it was sheer volume. Obviously, that's, you know, the clearest example. And, and then I think as we look across the supply chain and just the overall inefficiencies and how we are collectively communicating and and, and managing the overall flow absolutely contributed to that. You know, one of the areas that uh, we're placing a lot of investment in is, uh, is into our execution and visibility platform. And the goal of that platform is to provide more transparency to what's happening inside of the terminal, give the terminal better information for how things are going to flow in so that we can optimize you know, how those boxes would move through the terminal, as well as give the shipper more visibility to availability of those boxes so that they can make better decisions and have more predictability around um, what's happening. And, you know, we, we own, you know, we, we provide software for shippers in their yard. So we have a yard management solution, right? We provide technology in the terminal, and we believe that there can be improved collaboration, which improves ah, both of their yeah. operations, 
right? Through enhanced collaboration around, you know, if I know what's coming to my operations as a, as a terminal, right? I know boxes are going out or empties are coming in. I have more of an ability to affect what happens inside of the terminal and same on the shipper side, right? If I have better visibility into what's coming into my yard, right? I can prioritize and, and help receive that inventory faster. So during the backlog on the West Coast ports, there were, there were, and we know there were, there was a spike in imports into the U.S. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, more, more tonnage crossed the, the U.S. ports than ever in the past, especially from China. Right. Um, which surprised a lot of people. I mean, you know, we thought that there was going to be a, a recession and nobody would buy anything. And turns out people were buying all kinds of stuff from China and there was a spike in demand. So when so was the backup caused by just not being able to move the containers fast enough through the ports or was it more just they were choked with too much freight? Well, I think it's a compounded situation across the supply chain. I don't think you can point to, you know, too many boxes in the yard as the sole problem, right? If you have an exporter that needs an empty and all the full boxes are in the terminal, right? It's very difficult to balance that. Or if you have chassis that are moving through the supply chain and not where you need them, right? Uh, yeah. Just the, you know, the the pure pressure across all modes and nodes of the supply chain without being able to collaborate and optimize across them, it was inevitable that you were going to have choke points, right? And so, yes, I think they're definitely, the terminals um, have definitely been um, overwhelmed with that volume, but, you know, the boxes need to have somewhere to go as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So if a shipper isn't accepting the container into their yard, then the container has to sit somewhere. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be a turnaround. Yeah. A throughput kind of issue. I, it was my understanding there were uh, there was a shortage of uh, drayage companies, truckers to pick up the boxes, everything. as yeah. well as uh, warehouse space shortages and things weren't turning. They draw they'd uh, bring containers to a warehouse or a customer location, and then it would be, you know, a month before they'd unload it. Right. Yeah. And those uh, detention charges went through the roof also. It's just a big mess. It's a, a giant right. mess. Absolutely. Yeah. And we yeah. started hearing, you know, our customers ask us, you know, for the software that you'd use to manage an ocean uh, terminal yard being used um, inland. Right. So we're going to pull boxes out of the marine terminal. We're going to put them in a, in a, in a container yard, help us manage that yard better right. so that we can relieve the congestion right inside of yeah. the, inside of the terminal. Yeah. yeah. So I think there were um, companies that were doing pre pools. So before right. delivering to the ultimate customer, they right. stage the containers in a container yard somewhere right. a mile, say, exactly. from the port. And then there's hundreds of containers in those yards. And man, it was, I think it's eased up a little bit now, but Definitely. it was it has a little crazy bit. there for a few months. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. And, and it could happen again, right? right. I mean, all, all that would trigger it is um, to have, you know, a lot of throughput at a major uh, Asian port and we get choked on the West Coast ports because we can't handle that much demand. Right. Definitely. Much 
Yeah. So I think it becomes all that much more important to connect the supply chain, right. To eliminate those bottlenecks through, you know, the flow of information and collaboration. No, for sure. And if you collaborate with your shippers also and what's in the shippers yard and you can see how that would make the overall, uh, the overall operation much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about rail terminals also. I don't think we get much visibility into rail, but if you have ever seen a rail yard, it's a real different kind of operations. You've got trains coming in and those that need the cars that need to be hooked up in different places and switching lines and all kinds of stuff. So how does how does it work in a rail yard? Yeah, so we have software that we certainly manage a lot of on-dock rail, right? So all of these container terminals have railheads and and we're helping to optimize how how those um, containers are flowing onto the rail. We have a lightweight solution called Octopi, which is a multi-tenant cloud solution where we've uh, put in some technology to help manage those intermodal yards and then um, have been working to work with the class ones. I think there's a lot of opportunity there around uh, making that technology more efficient and uh, helping to give broader visibility to what's happening there. But I mean, look at the container throughput. Are there more containers that are going out of the port on rail or on by drayage companies? It depends on the port, right? It's, it's, it, it, it depends. That answer is definitely, it depends. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, but, but they're both operable in most ports, right? So you have rail and, and drayage. Correct. Correct. Yeah. In North America. So let's, that's a big caveat there, right? In North America. So rail isn't as popular in other locations? or Definitely not, right? It, if you look at Latin America as a whole, right, they do not have the rail infrastructure you do in Mexico and Brazil. But, you know, across much of Latin America, the need for uh, rail solutions is definitely much less, right, than it is in, in North America, as an example. That's interesting. I would imagine it's pretty heavy in Europe. Right. They have a big rail infrastructure um, and Australia. Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting. Okay. So one of the most important areas in the frictionless supply chain podcast that we do is around sustainability. And I think that that is so important for us going forward, um, not only because it's the right thing to do for the planet, Uh, But because most companies, board of directors now have sustainability as part of their uh, strategic goals. Mm -hmm. So I understand that um, Navis has sustainability capabilities also. Can you talk a little bit about that and what what that's all about? I mean, at the very base level, if you think about what our technology is doing, right, we are trying to optimize how quickly things move through a terminal. So if if a vessel sits less time, if there's less rehandles and less equipment moves, right? You know, the sort of the core of what we're doing is to improve, you know, how those containers are moving through the supply chain. So we have a pretty direct impact on emissions or not, right? If we can reduce the number of moves, we can certainly make those terminals more efficient. 
Um, we are, you know, putting some effort around trying to help our customers measure uh, the impact, the environmental impact of their operations. Um, you know, there are a handful of terminals around the globe that are fully automated, right? Our technology is running that fully automated supply chain within. By fully automated, the loading and offloading? So all of the equipment inside of, of the operation is automated. So automated cranes, automated uh, machines that are driving the containers around uh, the yard, right? So, and many of those terminals are looking at electrifying uh, that equipment. Uh, and so, you know, with the technology that's running behind that, right, the, the more that we can optimize, you know, how the terminals are using their equipment, the more we have a very direct impact on environmental sustainability, right? Um, you know, we're starting to see our customers push down their uh, sustainability initiatives, right? So you see the shippers who are looking for their supply chain partners, uh, you know, to abide by their sort of net zero um, commitments. And so I think we're going to continue to see the terminals try to differentiate themselves around their sustainability initiatives. And um, you know, what we could do to help them is certainly to help them measure and manage, you know, what their impact is to the environment. Um, Navis software does that or how is Navis? Yeah, so, yeah, so we are working to build out a whole suite of analytics to help you manage that. Now, obviously, there's a, a, a terminal itself are going to have to use multiple um forms of analytics, right? So, but we can definitely help them understand, right? How have they improved moves per hour and what is the overall impact um, of the equipment on the supply chain? Okay. All right, well, very good. Touche, I mean, this is, this is- There's more to do that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, a lot of companies have undertaken all kinds of sustainability initiatives um, but supply chain people have been sort of on the outskirts, I think, yeah. for a while. And now, um, now uh, you know, sustainability appears to be on lots of agendas and is coming uh, into supply chain in a way that the suppliers, are, you know, com- companies are demanding that their suppliers are yeah. have green initiatives and are environmentally aware and you know, there's going to be more and more of this coming along. So it's interesting to know if you're using a specific port that um, one port may be better in, right. in terms of environmental impact than another. And so these are all really interesting ideas going forward to be considered by supply chain people for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you think about how many times a container gets rehandled as it moves through the supply chain, right? The ability to minimize the number of touches and the amount of fuel used, right? Even just within the four walls of that terminal, right? It's significant. Dwell time, dwell time, right? Yeah. 
Well, we have a, a lot of people we know that listen to this podcast that are new to supply chain or early in their career. Do you have any advice for people that are uh, coming up the ranks in supply chain, what to look for, what direction to go? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think uh, as a, you know, when I chose sort of supply, I don't know that I chose supply chain per se, right? Yeah, how, did, yeah. <laughs> how did we yeah. get here? Um, you know, I just, I just, I hope that, um, uh, people ask more questions around the supply chain. I think for the first time, you know, in most of our lives, supply chain is front and center. So as right. I have conversations with people around their career choices, suddenly people are interested in learning a right. little bit more about the supply chain. You know, I've had, uh, the, opportunity to work on the technology and the shipper and actually early in my career on the 3PL side of supply chain. And, and I guess my advice certainly is it doesn't have to be linear. It can be a winding path and get as much exposure to all parts of the supply chain as you can, because, you know, there are so many different opportunities for you to make a difference in supply chain, like there, there is far from just one, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of things, isn't it? It's really mm -hmm. hard to explain. It's a, a not only uh, the movement of freight, but these days I would say it's also very um, analytical and dependent on moving information in a way that it wasn't mm -hmm. 40 years ago, right? So yeah, now not it's as important that you're moving information as is that you're moving freight. So yeah, I, those those are two areas that I think are quite prominent, and people should, especially women in supply chain, should consider. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know, coming up through the ranks and trying all different kinds of and aspects of supply chain, some good advice, very good advice. So thank you for that. Um, so Kim, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything that you'd like to add about Navis or um, about your career that that you think the people should know? <laughs> That's a great question. Not necessarily. <laughs> Anything you don't want them to know? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, I personally am very passionate about the supply chain. I think that there is so much more that we can do to connect and build a cohesive supply chain. And, you know, I just encourage everybody to keep asking and keep pushing, right, for what you need to happen. And, and I think we can and will get there, right? We just have to work together to make it happen. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us today, Kim. It was really interesting. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or Navis, how do they how do they get in touch with you? Sure, feel free to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn or, you know, go directly to our website and uh, yeah, follow the contact us um, on either the Navis um, or actually the rebranded Polaris website. Oh, okay, okay. So are they separate or are they together now? Together. Together. Okay. Okay, great. So what's the, what is the website? Is it Calaris.com? Calaris.com. Yep. Okay. You got it. How do you spell that? C-O-L-K-A-L-E-R-I-S. Okay. Calaris. All right. Good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because I wouldn't have been able to figure it out. 
<laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you again. And you can listen to more supply chain podcasts posted on Supply Chain Management Review's landing page. Um, we also post on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at R Coates, R C O A T E S, at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. So thanks again, Kim, and uh, have a good afternoon. Thanks, Rosemary. Uh-huh. Okay.